Thanks for joining us today on the Agile India podcast. I'm your host, Chris Edwards, and I'm here with Sean Dunn. Today we're going to be talking about something that comes up a lot in conversations Sean and I have, the Westrom's typology of organizational cultures. Yeah, we were actually introduced to this at Agile India 2016 by uh, Nicole uh, Forsgren, who had a, a wonderful presentation on uh, culture and the the importance of culture in organizations, specifically organizations uh, that are trying to go down the DevOps route and and how culture plays such a huge part of that. And she referenced this Westrom's typology. And maybe to give a little background of what it is, the Department of Sociology at Eastern Michigan University uh, did this study a few years ago where they went into healthcare organizations, uh, hospitals and the likes, and with the specific goal of a, trying to observe and quantify the cultures of the organizations and then what impact did that have on uh, safety and patient safety. Basically, how well did these organizations perform and how is that correlated with their cultures? So they, they looked at specific ways people behaved uh, and were able to draw conclusions about what cultures these organizations had, specifically how information was shared and how, uh, how people reacted in the face of, uh, of failure and things going wrong. And fundamentally, they were able to classify organizations into three categories. There was pathological organizations, bureaucratic organizations, and generative organizations. Uh, pathological organizations are power-oriented, there's low cooperation, messengers are, are shot, uh, there's scapegoating, innovation and novelty is crushed. Uh, bureaucratic is rule-oriented, um, you know, bridging is tolerated, failure leads to justice, and, and novelty is regarded as, innovation is regarded as something that causes problems. Generative organizations are, I think, the types of organizations we want to be a part of, they're the ones that are performance-oriented, there's high cooperation, messengers are trained, risks are shared, and innovation and novelty is something that's, that's implemented. This is, this is very interesting because it's not, it's, it's looking at culture from a different perspective and I think what I've heard people talk about it a lot. And, you know, sometimes people talk about the, the organization's culture, like uh, the ceremonies they perform and the, the things people care about or, you know, we've got a ping pong table or we've got a foosball table. Uh, you know, we've got cool things hanging from the ceilings. Look at our great culture. But this is something very different. This is something that's observable behaviors that you're seeing people do in the in the day-to-day work that's being done. So the, the one I find probably the most interesting is how people respond to failure. When something bad happens, what is the cultural response what is the, I guess, the cultural expectation of how people respond? And I, I, I think there's a lot of um, relationship between these different types of uh, categories that you were talking about earlier. You know, for instance, if, if, if failure is results in scapegoating, then naturally people are going to avoid novelty. They're going to avoid innovation because they will not want to be, um, you know, they don't want to be the one scapegoated. I don't want to put my neck out in the line. I don't want to get any kind of attention or microscope on me. Uh, so I'm just going to avoid taking risks. I think it's very 
interesting to consider that I think I, you know, I've personally can say I've definitely been a part of a bureaucratic organization, um, probably been a part of a pathological organization, maybe have been part of a generative organization. Uh, I don't think these organizations, like, I don't think anybody wants to be part of a pathological organization. I don't think anybody sets out to create a pathological or a bureaucratic organization, yet they exist anyways. These, these organizations are filled with smart, well-intentioned people who genuinely believe they're doing the best thing for the company, probably even have a poster up on the wall saying they value innovation, that they value people, yet they're able to produce a pathological and bureaucratic organization regardless. So it's an open question. I'm curious to know, what is it, the actions and behaviors and the language of leaders that creates one organization type that creates a, gener a, a generative organization over a bureaucratic and a pathological one? What's different about these? I think the thing that you said that I found very interesting was that we've got these smart people who are more or less trapped in the circumstances they're in. They, they cannot behave any other way given the cultures that they're in. And I can say firsthand, I've been in a manager role where I found myself doing things that I didn't believe were right. Um, and the reason, and, and you know, I'm thinking about, I, 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 am, I internalize agile principles, agile values. I think I, I think I've embraced an agile mindset, yet I was working in circumstances where the environment around me was driving me to lead in a way that I wasn't happy with. So if, if, I, can't, if I can't behave in the way that I believe in, then how can I expect someone who doesn't internalize these values to, to do anything different? Well, I guess step one is uh, recognize you <laughs> recognize you have a recognize you have a problem, um, and I think that's in many places the first the first barrier to overcome, isn't it? Because how many you know th these the, these path? Let's assume we've got a pathological organization. We've got good, well-intentioned people all the way up the leadership chain who believe that the decisions they are making are the best interest of the company or the organization. But what's missing, and I think it's that appreciation for second and third order effects. Um, yeah, and how do we how do we pay attention to that when 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 something when when a leader is presented with a problem, some something they have to make a decision or action on. How do they pay attention to these second and third order effects, and how do we help people? learn how to pay attention to these things? I think there's a few things that we can do to help. The first is, this is difficult. Once you get beyond first order effects and you start getting into how is this going to affect people, you know, two levels down, three levels down in, in ways, you know, the, the my decisions and actions today how is that going to have an impact on this type of culture? That's not easy. That doesn't, that's not a skill that comes overnight. So how do we give people the most opportunity to develop in that thinking then skill set? And I think part of it is exposing them to this type of thinking early, this type of critical thinking early, this type of deep thinking early 
uh, early in their careers, before they're even in a leadership position. Now all their experiences thereafter are shaped and perceived through this 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 lens and this filter. And I think it was will better equip them when they are in leadership positions. I think something else is when you're being led, paying attention to how your own internal processes, your own internal decision-making process is being impacted by the actions of your leader. And I've found being, being in a position, in this position I was talking about earlier, where I was doing actions that, that I wasn't happy with, it, it started creating a bit of uh, empathy for me when I'm looking at other people being like, oh, why are they behaving in that way? And, and starting to realize that I would probably do the exact same thing if I was in their situation. And now how do I put myself mentally into their shoes and start thinking about what it is about the way their leaders are acting and, and their product managers and their team members that are driving that behavior. And I think it, it really comes down to empathy. Um, I know I know you've recently uh, been in a, uh, a different role trying out um, being a programmer for a bit. And, and what, what has that taught you about, um, you know, agile coach? You know, you were an agile coach before, and now you're in a bit of a different role. Did that change your perspective on on teams and and reward structures and incentives and that type of thing yeah absolutely like having been in the position certainly influenced my perception of what's going through their heads and having empathy for that and and i you know remember thinking like i don't want to have a stand up right now don't make me have a don't make me have a stand up right now because i am 10 layers deep in the stack of this problem I'm working on right now. And uh, I don't want to lose my train of thought. I'm, I actually want to be productive and get this done. And so here I am, you know, one week pre- earlier being an agile coach talking about doing the stand up, And one week le- later, here I am saying, I, I'm not into the standup. I don't want to do it because here's my reality at the moment. And here's the context and what I'm thinking about. So that level of empathy, absolutely. Um, and again, it, it takes ex- experiences, a variety of experiences, walking in many people's shoes to, to get that. And how do we as organizations make sure that the future leaders of our company have these right mental models, have that right, uh, have developed the critical thought, have developed the opportunities for those different, to, to develop those different perceptions, um, those different uh, um, empathize with those different positions and roles and mind uh, and perspectives so that we are more likely to end up in the type of generative organization we want. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Agile India podcast. We're your hosts, Chris Edwards and Sean Dunn. We hope to see you next time.